Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. words in the introduction. You are uh, a very uh, faithful friend, and thank you also for faithfully leading all of us in having great commission lives. And that's not just words in a book, but you live it every day and have led the seminary in that way, and we are so grateful for you, and I love you, brother. And I also love what you've done to the place since the last time I've been here. <laughs> uh, really quickly here, just a, a word. Uh, Dr. Aiken mentioned uh, my book, and if I could say the book is, uh, was written uh, evangelistically, apologetically, uh, to help reach African-American men with the gospel. And if you've not read it, uh, if you go over to Lifeway and grab it, you can read it in 30 minutes or less. And when you're done, give it away uh, to an African-American man you know who does not know um, Christ. If you can't figure out how to cross those cultural impediments that keep him from listening to, God, to the gospel... They are there in the book with explanations that you could talk to him intelligently, um, but you could also give it to him in a barbershop at a train station. If you're in an incarceration ministry, give it away, and he can read those things um, himself. I want you to share my uh, burden. I often say whenever I get an opportunity to speak like this that I believe that one of the most unreached people groups in North American, uh, North America uh, are African-American men. And if you think long and hard about that, you'll see why. I say that. Share my burden to try to reach them and help the gospel be pervasive all over uh, our community. Uh, one last uh, thing here. Can you find me on Facebook and Twitter and on all the other social networking sites? I don't pin up anything, so you can't find me there. Um, but um, if you uh, could also find my blog, a Man from Issachar, is at my name. I would love to make 100 new uh, friends from among you uh, today. Now, don't do it during chapel because I'm using my phone to read and it will buzz all during chapel. And I, and I need to see the scriptures here. So wait till after chapel. Uh, but then I would be glad uh, for, to make uh, a f- new friend in the uh, social network. Okay, let us turn quickly to Luke chapter 1 and the 26th verse. be reading from the HCSB this morning, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. From the Holman Christian Standard, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? Let us pray. And now, God, may your glory reign in all the earth, and may you use your word to encourage and exhort your people so the gospel may ring out everywhere they work, reside, and play into places where people have never called upon the name of Jesus. Magnify your name in every life here today, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have a loved one who is not a believer, who is not born from above, is not saved. You have prayed for his or her salvation for some 3, 10, 13, or even 30 years without failing a day. But he or she has not shown any interest in the Lord, let alone salvation or even a change in character. You might be wondering if prayer is really going to do something. You have been going to school now for six to ten years or more trying to get your degree. But you are no longer young and fancy free. You have responsibilities that keep delaying graduation day. You have a course you cannot seem to pass. You have been studying for Hebrew and you are tired of when, where the decision between Hebrew and spending time with your family falls in your household. The cost of education is getting out of reach for you. So you might be saying, why keep trying? This is really too tough. Every time you get close to having enough savings to getting a better house or car, you run into a financial bump to set you back for a longer period of time. In fact, you were bit so hard by this last budgetary turn that you can barely take care of your current bills due next week. And having gifts under the tree for your children is not something you can think about right now. As far as you're concerned, you might as well declare bankruptcy, some of you, or just throw in the towel. And then there are among us today, some of you who back home, overseas, or over the border, for you nothing seems to stop the political unrest or the war in your homeland, not even U.S. sanctions. Like so many others, you are ready to claim that situation hopeless. People in your life who will not change, circumstantial roadblocks, financial setbacks, or oppression in your country, every one of these issues represents something beyond your power to control, such that you might have given up hope of seeing the thing that you wish come to pass. But I wonder today if there is any reason, anything that I can point to today, to let you know that there is still hope in the realm of possibility. What we need to do is re-examine the story about the birth that makes all things possible. The birth that makes all things possible. 
Luke 1, 26-38 brings us to the story of an angelic announcement to Mary about her place as the earthly mother of the Messiah in the world. This is more than a nice Christmas story, and I hope it will sustain you all the way through Easter. This story is an important piece in the history of salvation as it connects the Old Testament promises of God to rescue his people to his bodily entrance into the world to accomplish salvation through Christ on the cross. Important for us today in this story is that it presents a word from God to accomplish what is not humanly imaginable up until now, let alone even possible. We are talking about a virgin conceiving. Even the two words together are are oxymoronic because to be a virgin is to be free from the necessary work to cause conception. A virgin conceiving is more impossible than anything else about which you and I are praying or hoping. If you do not believe this, think about what your mom would have said, ladies, or what your mom would have said about your sister, sirs, if one of you had come home pregnant and said, Mom, I didn't do anything. I'm a virgin. That's just not The improbability of a virgin bearing a son has led some to label the story a myth. It's just something made up. It's not something historical. As such, it tells us nothing about God's ability to do the impossible, but is only present to inspire faith. However, Luke puts markers in the text in order to indicate that he is making an historical account. It says in the beginning, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this account takes place. The narrative repeats this fact down in 136 in the words of the angel to Mary. And Luke identifies the town of Nazareth by name rather than mentioning a town without name in Israel. He mentions the angel Gabriel by name instead of a general angel. And he mentions Joseph as the betrothed by name rather than just the idea that a girl was betrothed with no mention of the name of the man. All of these items are consistent with the fact that Luke begins his story by saying that he has made a careful investigation in order to produce a historical account. A myth would not inspire, but ultimately would deceive if one tried to build hope upon it. But a historical account of a virgin conception provides hope in the improbable and for the impossible. Later, an accusation of immorality would hang above Mary and Jesus, and thus denial that he was anything more than human. Yet three times Luke writes that Mary is a virgin in the conception, and that she is betrothed, for which she would have received death for immorality according to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 22. We most definitely are talking about a case of the impossible as we look at this text. So in this story of the impossible, one meets Mary, a young girl, a virgin, who is from the line of David, the line that has been promised the right to the throne of Israel in 2 Samuel. The angel Gabriel will greet her as one who has received favor from God. Now this greeting should not be read that Mary receives special status from God, as evident in her own recognition of Christ as Savior down in 147, as the one who would save Mary from her sins. She's not special. She's a sinner. 
Instead, it should be read as if she received grace from God instead of being one who bestows it. On this, John Calvin writes, quote, If Mary's happiness, righteousness, and life flow from the undeserved love of God, if her virtues and all her excellence are nothing more than the divine kindness, it is the height of absurdity to tell us that we should seek from her what she derives from another quarter in the same manner as we ourselves. Mary should not receive an exalted status because she made herself available to God. She's a recipient of the grace of God. To this grace-given virgin will be born a son like no other, stacking the deck even more in favor of impossibility. For first, the son will be named Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. God's person in the plan of salvation of Israel is going to be inside of Mary. If it wasn't enough that a virgin is going to conceive, now Mary is supposed to believe that what God did not finally accomplish under Moses and the kings of Judah and the promised prophets, he is now going to accomplish through her. Second, the one to be born will be great, will be the son of the Most High, it says in 132. The Most High is an Old Testament designation for God as the one above all and above which there is no other. A title of God known by the Gentile kings, Melchizedek, Balaam, and Nebuchadnezzar, and also by the prophet Daniel. To be the son of the Most High is to be related to the Most High. It's another way to say that God's Son, God Himself, is going to enter Mary, which Luke again restates in 1.35. Now in terms of probability of belief, our situation is now worse in that no one other than the Lord Himself supposedly is going to enter Mary we haven't had God entering the temple since prior to the loss of the Ark of the Covenant in Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem almost 600 years before this announcement. How then can one expect God now to enter one lowly person? Third, to make this announcement more incredible, even more preposterous, the one to be born in Mary is the promised Davidic king of whose rule there will be no end. Already mentioned, 2 Samuel 7, it says that God made a covenant with David there to give the right to the throne of Israel to David and all of his posterity. God had promised that one of these sons would have an everlasting kingdom and would sit upon God's throne. Now Mary is to be earthly mother of this king of Israel, of whom Daniel said his kingdom shall have no end. The king, the one who would overthrow Rome and all of Israel's enemies, who is going to provide salvation as God the Son himself is going to be inside of this little girl. That all of this can happen to a young teen girl, probably 12 and a half to 14 years old, who has never known a man? Is that possible? Yeah, right, you would have said. You might as well have told Mary at this point that in 2016, a man named Ron Paul is going to win the presidency of the United States. 
When you consider the enormous content of the announcement to the comparably small person in this innocent middle schooler, as she must have been, Mary's question now makes sense. How can this be, since I am a virgin, or have not been intimate with a man, as it says in Christian Standard of 134? Mary's question is one of understanding rather than one of skepticism, like Zechariah's question at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah, in light of his and Elizabeth's ages and his wife's barrenness, doubts the power of God to overcome years of life and the empty womb, even when he had testimony of Abraham and Sarah, of Rachel, of Samson's mother, and of Samuel's mother, Hannah. But Mary has no precedent of a virgin having birth. It is one thing for God to overcome age and barrenness and to do what is humanly possible. It is quite another thing for God to override his own laws and do what is humanly inconceivable. This is important for us to hear today. What you and I ask God for, what we've been praying about, is in the realm of the humanly possible, if not also in the realm of the accomplished. God has already opened barren wombs and given children to people in their old ages. God has paid many bills that were in arrears, turned and returned many prodigal children, rescued married marriages, and healed many diseases. He has made provision through all types of manna and ravens during times of famine, won under-resourced legal cases, removed troubling employees, raised money for missionaries, and note, he has raised money for non-denominational, non-CP-supported, non-Lottie Moon-offering-supported missionaries to get to their fields and open doors closed to the gospel. He has rescued us from accidents, kept people content in broken homes, brought people safely home from war and watched over their families while they were away. He has given scholarships for people to finish school, met year-end nonprofit budgets, and helped people overcome overwhelming odds against success. These are all things he has done over and over, time and time again, to doubt that God could do these things for you when he has done it is to question the obvious, the common, and the simple when it comes to our God. It is to do what Zechariah did. Yet Mary, having no record of a virgin birth and having the Isaiah prophecy in her background, does not doubt for one minute the power of God. She only wants to know the mechanics of the working of God. She does not doubt for one minute that a girl who has never been with a man can have a child by the word of the Lord, and that child can be the Savior, the King, the very Son of God himself. My wife Pam and I have an older friend who had double bypass surgery about this time last year. The surgery was supposed to be three hours long. It ended up being seven and a half hours long. He had several days of recovery in the hospital afterwards. When the bill finally got to him, it was over $130,000. Being at home, he opened the mail before his wife, and he laughed off the bill saying, Well, God, this must be something you intend to handle because we can't do anything about this. Later, his wife saw the mail. She called me and told me the contents 
And I told her that we should pray for Jesus to show up in 130,000 ways. <laughs> we had more faith than ever in the Lord because of this. My friend was alerted to his need for surgery after he was laid off a job that he had held for 31 years, sat home 60 days searching for a job, finally was offered a job, took a physical required by the new employer on the day of the offer, and at the physical, his blocked arteries were discovered several days later after the surgery. And after knowing all of these phenomenal things, the wife came and showed me a note from her insurance company that gave her an $82,000 discount on the surgery. And then the company agreed to pay another $47,000, leaving the family with only $1,300 to pay. I know our God is able. So for things that God has said that he can do and already has done, don't stop praying and don't stop believing. Like Mary, just wait on the Lord to reveal the process. So how did Mary come to see the impossible made possible? Three things. Number one, first of all, Mary relied on the Spirit in 135. It says in 135, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune God, will bring his power upon Mary like the clouds of God's glory that came upon the tabernacle and Israel in the Old Testament. God's Power will overshadow Mary so that his power jolts her body to conceive a child without the help of a man. It is not Mary who can do this impossible thing, but God alone who does it. Unlike the pagan stories of God coming down and sleeping with people, there is no bedroom scene here, no lust on the part of a God made in the image of man who's going to yield titans with his earthling. This is the holy God by the Holy Spirit implanting the holy seed so that all will recognize Jesus as the Holy One of God. Now going back to the Niles, which we discussed earlier, modern science also would argue that there is no need to find a conception of a virgin to be miraculous. For in the scientific world, we can artificially inseminate a woman with a baby created in a test tube simply by extracting items from a sperm bank, medically inserting them into the woman. And while it is true that such research would seem to take the punch out of a virgin conception, you must remember that modern science is modern and that there was no concept of the ability to artificially inseminate a woman at the time of this writing. Moreover, the artificial insemination, you, you still need some help there. You need the help of a male contribution. But what makes this story even more incredible is that God needs no man help at all to do what he is going to do here. He doesn't even need scientific help. So when man can figure out how to accomplish conception without man help or scientific aid at all, then we might knock the wind out of this story. If you and I will see the impossible happen, it will be because we rely on the work of the Holy Spirit rather than human ingenuity. This in Luke's whole story in the Lucan narrative means that we must be a 
people of prayer and more prayer. We must rely on the working of the Spirit that comes as we rely on God in prayer to do what we cannot do. And here's the good part. Without God, we can do nothing. Everything from, Lord, give me peace, to rescue my sibling from foolishness, Two, Lord, help us finish this semester well, must be a work of the Spirit of God and not of human effort alone. Our prayer lives must take on greater consistency, greater time, and greater trust in the Lord. Those of you with faithful prayer lives, you need to just keep waiting to see what our sovereign God will do. Second, Mary received a story. In 136, it says, And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. If Mary wants to know the how, she has an answer. Here's some support. And another old barren woman is now pregnant. See, if God opens the barren womb, it means that God controls the womb. If he controls the womb, he can close it up, open it, stick a child in it without the help of any man, or do whatever he wants with the womb. Hearing the story of Elizabeth's pregnancy is meant to sustain the faith of Mary. This is Mary hearing Elizabeth's testimony. One of my students came to me once concerned for his sister who was about to throw away her marriage of three years. When I probed into the situation, I asked, is she a believer? To which my student said, yes. Then I asked, does she go to a good church? To which he said, not really. And that she and her husband were not consistently going. So I said, can we get her to a good church near her? For I know that part of what is needed to help her see that the Lord can save her marriage is preaching of God's word that shows her the gospel's power for her marriage. She and her husband also needed to be challenged to grow as believers so they could be humble, patient, kind, and forgiving toward one another by the power of Christ's death for their sins and his resurrection from the dead. They needed Christ's blood to cover their sins, and they needed his blood to cover their spousal unfaithfulness. They needed his resurrection to give them power to love as Christ loves. Also, I know in part that what they needed to hear was the testimonies of others saying what God had done. They needed to hear a couple married 25 to 30 years say to them, You know, we started out just like you, but Jesus. They didn't need to hear a mom say, the stats were against me raising a godly young man by myself, but Jesus. They need to stand in awe of someone on disability, say, I once was young, but now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Isolation can only aid disbelief. Being part of a community of testimonies add to faith in God. Ultimately, The part you must hear is that with God, nothing will be impossible. These words from the angel are close to the Septuagint rendering of Genesis 18.14, where the Lord says to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
in the Old Testament Greek, uh, written three centuries before the birth of Christ, it says right here uh, in, in Genesis 18:14, "For with God nothing is impossible." You have a note there on it if you're holding your Septuagint this morning. This further ties the story of Mary to the plan of God announced in Abraham. Through Abraham will come an offspring who will bless the nations. It begins with the birth of Isaac from a barren woman in her old age. The two stories, barrenness, are connected. But from the angel's words, we learn that the story of the birth of Isaac was pointing to one greater to come from an even more troubling birth scenario. This is confirmed when one sees that in Luke 137, Luke uses rhema in there, as does the Greek of Genesis 18.14 for the Hebrew devar. Moreover, Luke as the word pawn in there, the all or the each in there. So it means that his text really says, for not one thing will be impossible with God, each word, pawn rhema. Luke intends to say that every word God has said that he will do is possible for him to do. From the barren Sarah to the virgin Mary, everything God has promised he will do, yea, it is already done. God made the creation from nothing, drowned Pharaoh in the Red Sea. If God brought forth water from rocks, healed lepers, made the sun stand still for one, and the shadow go back on the sundial for another. Now that's amazing to me. Sun stand still, shadow go back on the sundial. There is nothing impossible for our God to do. About two years ago, scientists in Italy were testing an experiment that had shown that the microparticles called neutrinos could excel the speed of light, that great speed limit which, since Einstein, has been the constant upon which much of physics stands. When the experiment found that the particles could reach the speed of light but could not excel it, the comment of one physicist was noted, quote, We knew excelling the speed of light could not be possible. Because then we could have the possibility of going backwards in time and preventing the death of a loved one, unquote. Well, that's too bad for neutrinos, but this is for sure. My God can go faster than the speed of light and he can travel backwards in time since he is eternal and has seen the end from the beginning. There are no limits on what our God can do. And in order to see the impossible, you need to keep hearing stories of his might and of his power. Third, and I close, Mary responded as a servant. In 138, it said, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Mary responds as a servant or a bondservant or as a slave, as it says here in the Holman. If you cannot respond as a servant to whatever situation God presents, you will not be able to see him do the impossible because you will be in the way. What if Mary had said, not my girlish figure? What if Mary had said, no, you won't ruin my reputation to have me accused of adultery? What if she had said, if it gets too hard, can I give up? Or what if she had said, no, once I have a child, I'm not going to move to a foreign country like Egypt. I need to stay here right in my state. She would never have seen God do what, humanly speaking, would have been impossible. Servants or slaves, on the other hand, say, it is impossible for one rhema? of God to lack power? 
then let it be according to your rhema, is what it says, according to your word. I will keep following your word, O Lord. You go ahead and do the impossible. The really incredible thing about this whole episode is that it is only the beginning of a much greater story in Luke of how God accomplishes what is impossible for man to overcome sin so that we can stand righteous before God. He did this through Jesus. See, Jesus, like Mary, relied on the Spirit from his birth to baptism. The Spirit of God was upon him, guiding him into the wilderness of his temptation and all the way to the cross. In Romans 1, Paul even says that he was raised by the Spirit of holiness to be the Son of God. Jesus, like Mary, received stories. As a Jewish child, he would have known Genesis 22 and the rescue of Isaac. He would have heard of God stopping the Jordan River, vomiting Jonah from a fish, jumping into the fiery furnace, and raising Daniel from the lion's den. By these words and many more, Jesus would have had every confidence that his father could slay him for our sins and then raise him up again from the dead. Jesus, like Mary, responded as a servant. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. When Jesus gave his life to endure the wrath of God in our place, afterwards he saw the impossible. He got up from the dead. And one day he will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. Right now, my wife and I, like some of you, are waiting on God to do a seemingly impossible thing in our lives. As Dr. Aiken mentioned, come January 1, we are going to have the move of a lifetime coming. Move of a lifetime, yes. This is not like moving to seminary when we were 23 and we had zeal to go across the country that was fueled by sheer stupidity. This is moving a family of seven with three teens, changing schools, and starting over occupationally. However, January 1, 2014, earlier this year, we had a huge, scary employment debacle hanging over our heads, and we're still here because our God is faithful and has done the impossible. And time will not allow me to tell you of all the impossible things God has done the last 23 years. It is only by the grace and mercy and power of God that I stand before you right now. So we have every confidence that God is going to show up in a way greater than what we can imagine, in a way that will make everyone say, look at Jesus. And not one people, person will say, Eric and Pam, that was some really quick thinking on your part. Rely on the power of the Spirit. Receive stories of the power of God. Respond as a servant and be open to whatever God is calling you to do. Then you too shall see God do the impossible in your life. Let us pray. Father, on behalf of your children, show them that everything is possible without God and glorify your name to the ends of the earth. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.